amateurish outfit. Yes, we are. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Almost Good Podcast. This is the podcast where me, J. David Osborne, hi, and him, David James Keaton. I'm still here. He's still in the bag of chips. Are going to talk about movies. So today we're going to talk about Colorado Space. But yeah, no, I was going to talk about my cool new setup at the beginning, but then uh, you, since... Dave is, you know, I don't, are you close to an Air Force base or something? I'm not really sure what the... I am close to an airport. We got the, uh, yeah. it's the, the, the dot-com billionaires are zipping out of this, uh, this airport all day, every day. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, blame them. Well, I do blame them. I blame them for most things. But I uh, was going to the gym recently, and uh, so I'm at this new apartment, so that means new gym. And, uh, ooh, new pair of headphones. Should I experiment? I don't know. Um, you have so a I nemesis. Was, don't you have a nemesis? Yeah, I was going to talk about my gym enemy. So it's this guy. <clears throat> I'm trying to put my finger on exactly what it is about him that I hate so much. I think it's just that, uh, well, the first time I saw him, he came into the bathroom while I was washing my hands. And I guess he had his headphones on. He was listening to his tunes. And he was doing that thing where he puts his, his fists like up to his chin, like both fists, and then kind of pumps him a little bit. You know that little dance I'm talking about? Like where you right. kind of... Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm picturing it. I don't know and if I've so ever he's seen kind of it. Like dancing, and then he starts looking in the mirror, and it's like he's in a rap video for himself. <laughs> um, and so I'll, immediately I'm like, oh, God, this guy's a douche. But then, so I'm going to do uh, some leg press stuff, and I go to the leg press, and there's like nobody there. And I go over to it, he comes over, he's like, no, homie, no, 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 I'm on that one. I'm on that one. And I look it over, and he's on a he's on a bench, a few feet away. But I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. Don't really argue with people at the gym because you know being on two machines is not is not a deadly sin at the gym. I feel like you can be on two machines, especially if there's not a ton of people there. But then I noticed that he's using the leg press machine, the squat rack, and the bench. So he has got he has he has made claim to a triangle of <laughs> of, of machines. And uh, number one, to me, that's too many machines to be using. Like at that point, you're taking up too much space. Uh, number two, he's not even, he's not jacked. He is not jacked. And oh, I that's become criminal. very aggravated when people go alpha in the gym, but they're not jacked. Like it's one or the other. You, you have to be, not one or the other, but you have to be both, right? Like you have to have shown you, that you've you have been to have in the a, gym yeah, for time. A body, a body that's three machines worth. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, and I don't know, he's just, he's got this, like, he like wears a gold chain when he works out and he's always smirking at people and he's got these beady little rat eyes. I just, I hate him. Like I hate his guts. I've never hated anybody <laughs> at the gym before ever, but this guy just, every time I see him and it's, it's Does that confidence like a... that he has too, where it's like, you know, that, that he's probably got a lot of friends and people like him because he's just extremely confident in himself. And so, like, we have sort of an alpha and beta thing going on where I'm more chill and beta, but he's like, he's like the alpha dog, right? And that's, that's all, that's all you got to do, you know? Well, you have to defeat him or else, um, would, you'll come in there and he'll say, nah, dog, I'm using all of them today. <laughs> and, and, you'll yeah, just have, yeah. and you'll just have no choice. It's funny that you said he, he has a rat, he looks like a rat to you. I mean, uh -huh. is that like, is he just, is he rat-like? his features are rat like or but he's got like a he's got like a snaggle tooth and he's yeah, just like a weird yeah. kind of head and like squinty little eyes and he just kind of looks like 
he looks like a lot of people who I grew up around, right? Who who have oh, the whole the, attitude, the, but they 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 can't quite back it up. But they just have so much right. belief in themselves that you can't do anything about it. There was a rat faced guy at the radio station when I was DJing, and um, a very I mean, he looked like he was half rat. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was an affliction or if it was just you know the way his mama made him. But he was—he looked like a rat, a rat on legs, and mm-hmm. he had this. And he was like a—he was—he like played cop at the station. It drove me up a wall. Like when I came there to get keys for this new—they um, got a new studio, and I needed to pick up a fob. Mm-hmm. I stopped mm-hmm. at the—I um, stopped during their fundraiser, and mm-hmm. so the people I needed to talk to were like on these tables answering phones. And they're kind of in the middle of this gymnasium kind of setup. So I come walking in. And I'm like, oh, hey, uh, you know, John or whatever the guy's name is that has the, the keys. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and I start walking towards him. This rat-faced fuck, like, walks towards me, splits the difference in the distance, right? And he comes up to me and says, hi, can I help you with something? Yeah. And I, you know, I'm just thinking, uh, no, rat boy, I'm here to get my keys. What do you have to do with anything? <laughs> and instead he's right. like, he goes, I'll handle this, John. And he like steers me out of the gym, dude. Oh, steers no. me out of the gym, and oh, I let him do it. No. I let this little fucking rat person steer me out the door. No, and the like, okay, let's. Uh, so, what are you here for? And I'm like, I'm here to get my keys, and I'm just start, so I start boiling over, but I'm not, right. you know, doing anything about it because right. I'm like, is, is he a rat? Is he a man? Should I call Guinness? <laughs> and uh, yeah. So anyway, I get my keys. Long story short. Uh, so I'm DJing and he ends up taking a shift from somebody after me, which was like six in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so he, um, or I'm sorry, I have it reversed. I came in and he was already there and mm-hmm. he's like, Oh, so here's what you need. Here's the spots. You got to read certain times. And I'm like, okay, thanks rat boy. And I'm thinking to myself, you're that motherfucker who, you know, played cop when I came to get mm-hmm. my keys, but whatever you seem nice today. Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes on his, ha- his merry way. About a week later, I get an email where somebody says, uh, I can't think of the rat boy's name. Rat boy sent a message, an email to somebody saying that he listened to my show and I didn't read the commercial spots at on the hour exactly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that, and that, uh, you know, in the future, if you could just please read those uh, when you're supposed to. And, um, anyway, he's, he's a literal rat. Like he's, yeah. like, I think the face changed, you know, like he, mm-hmm. he, he tattled on so many people that, yeah. Like, you know, werewolf in London style, his nose started to stretch a little bit. His eyes shrunk down. It's people It's people who are just in love with this concept of power, and they understand it in a way that's frustrating because more often than not, they're right. And it's guys like you and me that always end up on the losing end of that because for me personally, I'm kind of just a laid-back dude who doesn't want to, you know, I don't want to bow up to somebody because they took three machines so I'm just, I'm always just going to be like, okay, well, I guess you well, can do that. He but someday, for... someday there's going to be some tank who I wants that it. machine. And that tank sees that this little rat is on three of them. And there's going to be, there's going to be a conflict. Right. But this is the kind of guy who would square up with a guy like that. Right. He probably like, would. He, he sees when he looks in the mirror, when he looks in the mirror, he thinks that he's eight feet tall. Right. What's like, so he's got the opposite big erectia. <clears throat> that's where you think you're tiny. You look in, if you're muscular, you look uh, in the mirror and you're, you think you're scrawny. Yeah. So he, what's the opposite of bigorexia? He's got. Uh, I have no whatever this. He's got. He's got the rat disease. He's got. The he's, rat. Got, he's, he's got. got the he's got. He's fucking. He's fucking master splinter over here. But well, like, all, all I know is, dude. 
they came for your machines mm-hmm. and, and you said nothing. Mm-hmm. Then they then they came for the whole gym. <laughs> right, right. You know, and now what, that I think about it, now that I think about it, there was a guy who was not the rat dude a few days earlier. It was at the same new gym, right? Um, I go over to the squat rack and this guy comes over and he's like, no, I'm, I'm on that one. And he's sitting on a bench like five feet away. And I'm like, why don't you just sit at the squat rack? You know what I mean? Like what, like, what is this thing that people are doing where they're like, they're like dogs marking their territory. Your and then it's like, they, it's like they, they, they go away, they go away from where they are and they wait for somebody to approach so that they can come over and be like, no, nah, man, no, I'm on that one. And this guy wasn't on three machines. He was on one machine, but he was sitting on a bench. Does that make sense? He wasn't doing anything on the bench. It, it does because the common denominator is you. The, That's the, true. The story, <laughs> like I said, the story is evolving to where you might be the issue. It's like when my yeah. people in yeah, my apartment building true. were complaining, and I thought we were all complaining about the same person, but they were complaining <laughs> about me. Uh-huh. You might, they might all get together and be like, that fucker uses every machine in this place. We have right. to claim, we have to use something. How do we get him off these machines? And yeah. talking about you, like, do you come in and, and do you like put a little marker down on all your machine on your machines or? Bro, I use one machine. If I'm on the cables, I don't even do that thing where I grab two cables. I, I do it unilaterally, laterally. Like I do one arm at a time or like one pack at a time. If I'm doing a chest fly on the cable machine, I do it one at a time. I, I use one cable. I'm, I am so respectful in okay. the gym. I am the most right. respectful boy. In that gym. If a third person does it to you, we might uh-huh. have to re- reassess whatever's happening over there. I'll be, I'll be on the lookout. I'll be on the lookout. You know, I mean, I, it's, it's possible that I'm like missing. Well, okay. With the guy who's sitting on the bench, that one's not as big of a deal because number one, it was only one machine that he was using. He was just being weird about it and like sitting far away. So I'm not, I'm not super mad at that. And that guy was, was buff, right? He was jacked. So he hits all my criteria for that being okay. My major problem is with this little scrawny three machine user who likes to rap, rap dance in front of the fucking bathroom he's mirrors. He's doing his rap dance. He's doing a rap. Yeah, he's doing the rappy rap dance. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm glad I got that off my chest. That's really what so you, okay. I know. That's well, what people come to the podcast for is to hear do. me talk and about we, going to the gym. You're, yeah. a, you're a one machine kind of guy. I, yeah. Do you real quick? How do you define machine? Because if you define machine as your body, mm-hmm. this the, the story is still suspect. Like you're like, oh, no. one machine. Do you define no. machine as no, no. gold no. gym? Yes, yes. So okay. I, I I define a machine as a a squat rack, a bench. Because they're connected, uh, a, right? A, a Smith machine. Aren't, um, the, aren't these new ones? Like the you do the the lats and the. And the fucking rowing thing, it's all part of the same machine. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The, well, those, so, oh, well, no, those, those I would argue are three different machines that are connected. Uh, okay. So I, I've seen that too, but you know what? To be honest, that bothers me less. So here's, here's the criteria, right? If they are not connected, if they, are, if you have to walk to a different part of the gym to be on a different machine, that's, those are two separate machines. Okay. All right. I've so seen machines... people make the circuit. I've seen people make the circuit around one of those before. Don't have as much of a problem about that because usually you can just ask like, Hey man, is it cool? Like when you're not on this, can I just jump in? And people will be like, yeah, whatever. It's fine. It's when you, it's when you have like, like, like a triangulated thing around the entire gym and you hike from one to the next to do your circuit. And then, but you're like pissed off when somebody's at one of your, 
your stops. It's like you can't, you don't get to do that. Yeah. Like, that's not how this works. This, you're in public. But anyway, I think I learned a lot there. I learned a lot yeah. about the the new the new because well, you don't because you because you swim right. You you just you just yes. pretty much swim and you yes. lift you you do curls right like you I swim and do done curls. Yet. Swim and curls and chin ups and that's about it. So basically, mm-hmm. it's the the prison workout if prisons have had pools. Yeah. <laughs> they had a they had a nice pool. Right. <laughs> um, I actually ran into a student. I came back today when I got in the pool. Mm-hmm. My cre- my cred went way up because I. Mm-hmm. My towel kind of got kind of stinky hanging on the door out here, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I wanted to take it anyway because it, it seemed cold out, but then the sun sun came out. So I got out of the pool, and I didn't dry off, and mm-hmm. I just figured I'm going to walk home. I'm not going to stop in the locker room at all. Mm-hmm. So I'm drenched from pool mm-hmm. water, and I pass by this kid in my class, mm-hmm. and he's, he's looking me over, and I'm thinking, that's right. That's sweat. That's sweat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just used I just used every machine. I just claimed every machine. <laughs> but he did kind of do a double take like uh why is he why does rat? keaton why does keaton look like a rat what's going on he, here this, this rat is soaked <laughs> did fucking did, did sewer rat just come out of the sewer and a piece of pizza oh uh, what do you want to talk about first man yeah i just watched well, uh, color out of space well so. that's it's hot it's let's do it while it's hot um yeah color out of space uh i it seems like it's in your wheelhouse you were so into annihilation this felt like kind of an annihilation deal yeah what'd you, yeah. What'd you think we feeling it uh man that was a that was an unexpectedly ugly movie it does this thing that i think happens in a lot of a lot of these kind of low budget b horror movies when they get really nasty like that you kind of don't see it because uh-huh. the tone of the movie didn't have me prepared Right. For how for how ugly it was going to get at the end, you know what I mean? I, it was right. kind of it was sort of a lighthearted movie. You got Tommy Chong in the woods, dressed up in all this crazy face paint and shit, and everybody's yeah, yeah. sort of joking around. And you know, it's kind of like Nick Cage is being weird, throwing tomatoes into a trash can. <laughs> um, just to kind of back up, I guess for anybody who's listening who hasn't seen it, this is based. This movie is based off of a short story by H.P. Lovecraft called The Color Out of Space. And it's real easy to describe because you've seen this setup a hundred million times in horror movies. It's a wealthy family who lives in the big city. They finally move out to the country to get some peace and quiet. And, you know, you've seen it with ghosts. You've seen it with monsters. In this case, it is a meteor that crashes and brings with it this sort of amorphous color blob thing that has the ability to um kind of do horrible things to the to the bodies of the things that it comes in contact with sort of like annihilation right right it's very very similar in that respect also um it uh, i think to touch on a little bit of what you said about you didn't expect where it was going mm-hmm. i think there's something about that uh space horror intangible uh radiation um person like with the, their eyes are lit up and they're like this energy is doing something to them, even if it's changing them, that you sort of expect there to be this melding of human with alien that's weirdly triumphant. That's where people usually mm. go with it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I didn't realize it was going to be so brutally destructive to the family. Yeah. Right. To where you, you think that maybe they're going to achieve some sort of higher consciousness, even if it's weird. Right. Cause that's, and that's kind of what an Annihilation did, arguably, in the movie. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of, when when I see, like, People, their eyes are glowing. Something is fucking them up. It doesn't, you don't think it's going to be as 
basic as it's just going to literally destroy their bodies and turn mm-hmm. them into a pile of shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, right, like, right. I think that's kind of unexpected, especially with the poster feels, that sort of energy morphing. Does that make sense? You know what I'm talking I, about? I think, I think what you're saying, what I'm also saying, is that I expected it to be much more, I think, psychedelic and yes. trippy and yeah, weird. Yeah, that's kind of that's and kind it, what and I'm it, And it just became body horror which i don't yeah, think is more, bad which is yeah. i don't i didn't i didn't dislike the movie it um it was just much more blunt than i thought it was going to be you know um yeah, yeah, yeah. but i i think that uh, part of that is um the limitations too of it's a it's a, it's a low budget movie but i mm-hmm. think it does a lot with that budget because it's using some nice rubbery puppets in there it's and, got puppets i when yeah, i saw those i, I was them. like oh i was like this ad if we were doing star ratings Keaton just added a star when he sees the puppets. <laughs> fucking alpacas. That's yeah. what I was just saying about this movie. Like way more alpaca conversations than I expected. Yeah. But it kind of pays off because you got all those fucking alpaca puppet heads, you know, nipping at each other like fucking Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And you get, I guess you get one tragically bad CGI cat. Um, yeah. Yeah. But they kind of, they painted themselves in a, cor- a corner by talking about that cat in a freaky way. So mm-hmm. to just show it as this kind of gnarled reanimator puppet would probably would mm-hmm. wouldn't live up to it because you know Tommy Chong is like you ain't gonna recognize that cat now. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. So the cat scare was kind of silly, but uh, the uh, but yeah, I was I was all on board when people started to turn into gooey lumpy puppets. Yeah, yeah, and it's pretty rough. So spoilers ahead, just so everybody knows, if you haven't watched the movie, we're gonna get into it here. Um, yeah, so a few things happened that were, again, very brutal and surprised me. Namely, that the mom and son become fused together in this kind of <laughs> horrific uh, uh, from beyond type creature, right? Very, like from, yeah, very from beyondish. Yeah, yeah. Um, and th- like the sounds that they, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uncomfortable sound effects in this yeah. in this in this movie, and they, and they get stretched out for longer than you are comfortable with them. So the, the kind of gurgling, choking noises this mother and son beast make, uh, just throughout this entire scene, like while they're talking in the, in the room, there's this, this gulping and gurgling. And I was like, I would like for that to stop. Yeah, um, and, he, and he finally is like, why are they making that noise? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's basically exactly what everybody who's watching the movie is probably thinking, too. It's pretty, it's, you know, I think it's pretty accurate to the... I read the story last night because I was trying to get a handle on like the chicken or the egg with all these meteor okay. morphing movies. Okay. And um, the the source material, there's no, there's no alpacas, which I was shocked by because they went all in on the alpacas mm-hmm. in this movie. It's probably thought, a Stanley special. It's probably yeah, a Richard Stanley special. It's yeah. gotta be in there, but, but it's just a fruit farm. Um, but there is something that's described as the gibbering and the, like the nattering of these creatures. Yeah. And uh, I thought that that was pretty well done. Like the stuff that, that the, the, that the director and I, he also adapted it, right. Stanley also, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the stuff that he chose to highlight, I think were, was really smart. There's stuff that he discarded and stuff that he highlighted. And, um, can you go into that a little bit? Because I, I sure, have not yeah, read yeah. the story actually, so I'd be curious yeah. to see what was what was source material and what was what was new. Well, the um, the story is, uh, I guess it's notorious as being his favorite Lovecraft's favorite story, mm, okay. and, and ironically, it's it's his favorite because he claims it's where he 
was the most successful at describing the intangible horror of these space beasts that he's always talking about, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'm sure like Lovecraft uh, uh, historians are probably bristling at whatever generalization I make, but tough. Oh shit! I don't know anything about him, but mm-hmm. it's but I did read that he it's it was his favorite. I found that on Wikipedia, um, I think, and it, it was his favorite story because he felt that he finally got a handle on describing something otherworldly. But then when you read the story, because I thought, oh sweet, I'm going to get all sorts of details about the things I just saw in this movie, uh-huh. and if, and it's probably the most cases of this thing that he does anyway in other Lovecraft yeah. stories. He talks about the unspeakable. Yeah. But in this one, all he does is kind of double down on it. It's like, it's unimaginable. It's At one point, he's like, it's not for the imagination. To, t- right. to describe what he saw would take a lot of effort and drive you mad. All these things. I'm like, yeah. listen, yeah. you know, yes, it's a loophole. You found mm-hmm. a loophole. It's it's tough to describe stuff. You know, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right, he's, right. He's probably thinking, I can't, if I describe it, I'll ruin it. It's understandable that he does that because when you, it's like you don't want to, describe that stuff when you're talking about something that's utterly alien and lovecraft has said he was very um disappointed by the human form that aliens always took Mm -hmm. so that's why he wanted it to be this color right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. so you're kind of got all these issues with how do you adapt that and um and how and to to go all in on body horror i think was smart because in the story he um in the story also there are three at least three sons and a guy mm-hmm. um, which is okay. has a whole different effect so that i think it's really smart to bring a girl in because otherwise it would be like 10 little little indians just waiting for him to get zapped right because because you got one falls down the well one goes into the attic and then um one of actually i think they're one of them gets fused to the mother um wait in the in in the story in the story yeah Oh, this oh is, that's that so, actually happens in the story. That's interesting. Well, this well, let me let me back up a little bit. The fusion is not really there, but what happens is I should talk about the weird structure of the story. So the okay. story is is a typical Lovecraft where it's, you know, somebody's going to tell you a story about this th- weird thing that happened. Right. And you know, sometimes he does it in letters, you know, the the uh, the, the epistolary novels, right? Mm-hmm. That sort of there's a distance. I don't, and it, this is what I was trying to get a handle on when I was reading it. Is uh, there's always this reluctant. There, there was this reluctance to tell the story back then. Mm-hmm. Like you had to, mm-hmm. you had to say that somebody told you this story. Yeah. And so it's you. It, it puts it at a distance. So in the in the story, there's some sort of surveyor, some sort of uh, you know somebody coming in to look at the area because a dam is going to be put in. And they're like, don't up there at the blasted heath, some horrible shit went down. And he finds this old kook in a shack, which is the Tommy Chong or Tommy uh, Chong, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an old kook. And he says, man, back when there was a farm here, some crazy shit happened. The strange days he keeps talking about. Mm-hmm. And he says, and then the, the prose then says, uh, and then he told me a story. Then it jumps forward. And he goes, and then I went back to the college and I did this and I did that. And I went on with my life. And then it says, and the story began this way. And I'm like, what a weird structure to, yeah. tell, your, to tell your fucking yeah. story. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like he didn't want, because he's not even putting it in the voice of the old kook. It seems to be still being told by the voice of the nameless surveyor narrator. But he's telling the story the kook told him, but telling us the story he told him. As if it's just a third person story all of a sudden from first person to third person or an mm-hmm. attached third person. 
I don't know, it just was really weird to get going. So you, you take about two pages of somebody describing weird trees, mm-hmm. then, it, then somebody meeting an old guy who tells him a story, then he goes back to school and tells the story. Yeah. And it just seems like weird. that it's that weird distance where it's almost, is it too trashy just to tell the story as if it right. happened? You know, because right. if you tell it, and it, that assumes that you're claiming it happened. So he's giving that himself that deniability that here's something there's something interesting there yeah there's something interesting there with the distance maybe there's some kind maybe that's effective in the sense that it separates the 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 reader to to be exactly where the narrator is right right yeah yeah so you know what i mean so it's kind of like getting yourself into as though you're being told this story so the, the the scary thing isn't that you're supposed to be in the actual horrific thing but you know, you're kind of you're hearing a spooky story like this yeah, guy is. Yeah, and so the, the, all those layers kind of stand in the way of the story that Stanley told. He just he just threw all that out and said, "We're with him the day it lands. We're with him the day right. the meteor lands," which makes more sense. Because yeah. even when because the guy, the old kook in the shed, who's telling the story to the narrator, who's then telling it to us, it has to then be there in in the head of everything the guy is thinking. You know, unless, yeah, yeah. you know, he, so anyway, the structure is weird. So then when you hear the, him telling it after the fact, you hear about all these horrible things this guy went through that somehow this guy knows happened. But in a nutshell, what happens is something, a meteor hits, the wife goes just insane and she throws her in the attic. I might, I kind of, I was half asleep when I was finishing it, throws mm-hmm. her in the attic. But then he says there's rooms in the attic. So immediately I thought, well, you know, shit's going to get fucked up because I've never heard of rooms in an attic unless you're going to use them. You know, mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. it's like Chekhov's attic. So mm, of course, right. eventually another person is thrown in the attic to get him away from people. Um, the one son falls down the well. He does, and he does something similar, like in the movie where the the well is talking to him and drawing him in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, he the color just seems to take over the main dude and he, um, and then it shoots into space, but then a last little blob of it falls back into the well so that the old man, the old kook says, you know, that traumatized him because then he thinks it never really left, you know, a, mm. a big part of it left maybe with the family. Cause the, the color is then talking like the family members, which hints that it's, it's become all of them. Mm. Um, but then this little blob of it remains in the well that still glows. And so when the water from the dam goes over it, the surveyor is like, I'll never drink the water. Uh, uh, it's never left. It's yeah. still there. Um, which is interesting. But there's a lot of stuff that I thought was fascinating. Like the, the voiceover that tells all that spooky tree stuff is in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's in the movie before the meteor lands. But I think yeah. it works. I think it works really and well. And that works really makes, well. Yeah, yeah, it makes, yeah. It makes trees scary. You know what I mean? Yeah, and he's got some gorgeous shots. That looks like the Pacific Northwest for sure. Um, looks like he's got some, there's some good misty shots of trees and rain yeah. and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's great um, to have, I was just going to say, to have Nick Cage say the stuff that the narrator says in the work or, or in the in the story, you know, to your two narrators deep, but instead you just have Nick Cage just kind of say it, just kind of do this opening passage of, you know, what happened to the trees later, but to us, it gets us, it puts us on off kilter. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so we, mm-hmm. we get all, so trees, I like the idea that trees are inherently spooky. 
And right. it suits it when a tr- and a tree comes to life in the story too. I forgot that part. Like the color brings a, a tree. Oh to life. yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, the at the end, is, at the end, so much weird shit is happening that it's kind of funny that a living tree that kills that yeah, the, the so sheriff is sort of like just kind of like oh like well a, there he goes. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of low rent version of what's going on. Like he, it's kind of insulting. The sheriff just gets the tree, the tree yeah, rape from Evil Dead. Yeah. yeah, he got tree raped. Which but the story is, is also tough way to go. Um, it's also smellier than the movie. Mm-hmm. There's lots of talk of the meteor being stinky, which I thought was hilarious. Or, well, well, Cage's he, character is always on about that in the movie. Oh, though. he's always like, was he he's always that? like, he's always like, what the fuck is that? Oh smell? yeah, he does. He yeah. does say, you're right. You're right. Yeah. 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 In the story, they say, and nobody else can noise. smell it. Yeah. Um, but it, they use the word noise, noisome, noisomeness, noisome? Mm-hmm. which I guess means smelly. So it's the stink, the stink out of space. Yeah, right. The fart out of space. It, it felt it felt stinkier. Um, yeah. The other thing was the occult and space combo are not as uh, they're not as highlighted as the movie seemed to do. Unless uh-huh. I was just breezing past that shit, because you know Lovecraft's mm-hmm. got that occult space combo right. where I don't know if it is it going to is his idea that you know like technologies would seem like magic to us or seem mm-hmm. like occult to us, but. He also seems to have people worshiping gods and shit, you know. Right. Are they aliens? Right. Are they gods? It's all kind of a muddle. But in the movie, right. the movie kind of shits on it. The movie is like her her ceremony was just kind of stupid. It just hurts her really bad. It, doesn't, know, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. She's she's not a, she's not a very effective witch. It starts yeah. off she's by the water and she's doing kind of a ritual to get rid of the rest of her mother's cancer, which I thought was a nice way to kind of smuggle that in. I thought well, that also, was kind of cool. And later she tries the ritual that's a big failure. So yeah, yeah. Well, it does. Well, hold on. It, maybe, maybe. So, so. Am I reading too much into that? Uh, it's well, it's witch stuff. Well, I don't think it's necessarily anti-witch. I think that it was. I think if I had any problem with it, it was that it was kind of shoehorned in. I felt and not developed. So you know, so you got her doing this kind of uh, this sort of opening to the to the four corners, which is how you open up any magical ritual. You take air, water, earth, and fire. And you kind of go to each direction and you call in the, the angels of the – there's a lot of stuff in magic rituals that has to do with directionality because, uh, like, directionality sort of have like, has, like, persons to it. And she gets kind of, like, interrupted, but, th- I mean, that's like an opener. That's, like, how you introduce yourself to actually do the, the ritual. So she's, a- she's kind of asking, I guess, the four directions to help cure her mother. So I was a little confused. I'm sort of like a – occult nerd so i was a little uh-huh. confused by what exactly she was doing and then on her bed and i thought i thought this was kind of funny when she was laying there so she's got the book of the law which is uh alistair crowley's book that got transmitted to him in egypt so alistair crowley went into the this big pyramid and uh over the course of three days he got a transmission from an alien being and he just dictated it to his wife they were actually newlyweds that's how they spent their honeymoon um, and that became the book of the law, which she has there, but, but that's not really like a, a ceremonial book as far as I know. Um, you think it's, it's just, just throwing out references for people to have fun with, like here's, well, some, cult, yeah. here's some cult shit. And then she has, she has that Necronomicon, right? And that's, yeah. that's what's known as the Simonomicon, which came out in the sixties. And, uh, I, I think it was the sixties and it's basically just like a completely sort of made up and you know depending on how you feel about magic in general i guess you could come back and say well isn't it all kind of made up um but that was just like somebody well, yeah well no I, 
that's a good point because that's it's like a mass market Necronomicon, which is I thought was hilarious. Yeah, you know, because the book, as depicted in all these other Lovecraft adaptations, is this giant dusty tome. You know, it's made out of that's, human skin. Right, right. So right. for it to be the mass market uh, book, which yeah. I remember that one on the shelf when when I worked at the bookstore, you know, flew yeah. off the shelves. People loved it. Um, it's it is an like a an, an update that makes it. I think it demystifies it, makes it a little sillier. Like it didn't take right. it seriously. Yeah, it kind of did. And I think when she's carving into herself, she does the sigil from the Simonomicon on her chest. And then it looks like she does the salve et coagula, which is what's on the hands of the of the Baphomet. When you you're see creep, the... You're creeping me out. You're saying this shit out loud. And yeah. that just conjures up <laughs> something. Something's kind of come up through my crawl space because you're saying all these words out loud. Right. Put it in, put it in writing. Put it in a note. Send it to me later. <laughs> That's so or, funny. Whenever you talk to people who are like, I don't believe in this shit. And then you start saying words and they're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait a, yeah. wait a let's minute. Just, let's just slow things down with the Latin let's just, let's just Let's not be speaking Latin here. By the way, I saw it was a completely <laughs> random left of field fact. I found out the Vatican has the world's only ATM in Latin, which I thought was funny. Um that anyway. seems that seems like it would conjure up some sort of beast. <laughs> yeah, some some sort of money demon. But um, <laughs> but so anyway, so yes, you have all these kind of of nods to magic and the occult, and you know maybe that's why it didn't work. But I was thinking that well, it doesn't do what she asked it to do because in her ritual where she's cutting herself up, she's saying like you know help me save me, but she ends up cutting in her forehead that little rune that's actually from the alien's planet that I think kind of track that's what tractor beams her into the pink snake oh, so tunnel. Think, so you think you it know? wasn't just uh it wasn't insulting the cult. It was, that was enough to maybe make her part of it rather than be destroyed. Yeah. She was like the sacrifice, but I think that the idea is that she's what got it to go away as well. So uh -huh. I think that, so I her, think shit, so her shit ahead. did work according to you. Kind of. Yeah. Well, I mean, it didn't do what it was supposed to do. I mean, she said, well, actually, in the way that magic works often is that you'll do a spell for something and it'll come to you in like a, a way that is kind of like funny, but doesn't make sense. So if she's saying like she does say, get me out of here. Right. Um, and technically she gets out of there. Right. Why can you do a spell to have the guy at the gym who's your nemesis and get injured by the machines? Probably. Probably could, so. Could you do it right now and see if it happens? <laughs> could you do some some inhuman gibbering on this podcast? Right, right. If, I often it... think like how free, how freaked out would people who are like re religious get? You know, like if I wore my my Baphomet t shirt to the gym and just started like speaking in Latin and like well, muttering under my breath, like yeah, there's a couple layers of, of of disturbing there. Like if people believe it, they would be. Mm -hmm afraid and if people didn't believe it they think you believed it which is all it takes to be dangerous right. so right it's right. like in the like in the exorcist with when the, the quote from the book the exorcist when he says there's a belief in evil and there's a belief that evil can be cast out mm -hmm. those are those mm -hmm. are two different things and that means that you need an exorcism to get rid of the possession even if you don't believe it that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and that you're getting into some really interesting things about how magic and the occult actually works in general do you ever read or see serpent in the rainbow oh yeah i have that one where he gets that's a, a good one he gets yeah. a spike through his balls <laughs> yeah that's rough man you, you hate to see that you but hate um to see that but those but that book in particular there's another one i want to say it's 
by this no it's not by the same guy there's another one called war of witches where this guy who's a anthropologist uh, down in south america basically gets yeah he gets involved with uh like shamans down there and he kind of gives this sort of expose on how they do you know magical uh, they have magical wars with each other and they're in each other's dreams and shit um and it's really interesting because what you're saying about it's it, it's not so much uh like the like belief is kind of a faulty concept or i shouldn't say belief is the faulty concept it's whether it's true or not doesn't actually matter like the word true no longer holds or any kind of weight it doesn't have to be supernatural to be effective exactly. yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 and then it's like well if there's no real difference in the in the outcome then you know i don't really know what people quibble over but that that was david's occult corner which is always <laughs> just fun um maybe I'll, maybe I'll add some spooky music to that one yeah, um but anyway so i i thought the i thought the representation of magic in the in the movie was was interesting and it, it you know you have to do it on you have to make it look cool on film have you seen um the speaking of the magic in it have you seen dunwich horror no, I sure horror. didn't. Uh-uh. That one, that one is much more sincere about the occult stuff being, um, you know, intertwined with the space stuff. Uh-huh. I think uh, I think you'd like it. it um, my uh, my off the grid friend Nate, who listens to this show, Hi, Nate. shout out shout out to Nate for sending me a copy, a VHS copy of the Dunwich Horror, which I hadn't seen before, which has Doris Day in it, and um, oh, okay, the, the dude from. Um, Blue Velvet, what's the guy's name who sings into the Ben? He plays Ben in Blue Velvet, sings into the light. Uh, what the fucking guy's know. name? He was on Battlestar Galactica, War of Fedora. Fucking, uh, what else was he in? He was in, uh, oh, uh, uh, Quantum Leap. He was the guy who taught, who's like the the Mirage who like helped the main guy get to leap into different bodies. You'd know him if you saw him. But yeah. he plays, he plays this occult guy um, who, uh, there's it's a similar setup. There's some strange shit going on at this house, and somebody comes to to town to uh, to like figure out what's going on in the house. But this guy steals a Necronomicon to complete a ritual that his dad wants to do. And there's a lot of fun little hand motions and a lot of sweet little uh, like at the grave. He's trying to do his little ritual, and the townspeople are like, "Get the fuck out of here!" Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. there's all that stuff is kind of fun. Like it's. It's not as tongue in cheek, but it the I, the mixture of occult and and uh, science fiction I think is, is kind of fun, and I think it is effective in that one. Also, mm-hmm. it has a very very effective no budget creature attack. Oh, so cool. there's some you know again an intangible. What game, year is this? Uh, got to be the seventies. Seventies, um, yeah. Early seventies. So I don't even know what they. It looks like it might have been a balloon with a bunch of hippies' heads on it or with tentacles, but they film it so briefly and it's flashing with a strobe effect mm-hmm. and this woman opens the wrong door and just gets accosted by it so that she's stripped of all of her clothes while she's screaming oh, wow. and i'm like oh whoa ah this is huh. interesting and it's huh. if you go if you don't have a budget that's kind of how you do it somebody's at the, at the door oh um somebody's at the dropping something off we're gonna have to oh cool Cool. We're going to yeah. have to sanitize it because we're in lockdown here. Yeah. Great. But, yeah, so I'm looking to, it up here. Oh, hold on. A- Amy's over here. She has to meet every delivery person for some reason. Did you get the... 
Somebody hand me my wallet right here. Oh, what? Oh, you ordered something. Yes. Oh, I thought it was like a. Okay. All right. I take it back. Thank you. Take it back. A lot going on here. Um, but anyway, done. Done with her. Mm-hmm. Now the now the baby thinks she's leaving. It's a lot, a lot happening. So yeah, uh, I think you'd like that. It's on DVD, but it's a little hard to find. Um, but the occult stuff is uh, is heavier and um, arguably more important. Mm-hmm. But now, mm-hmm. but now I don't know. I'm gonna have to rewatch the end of this as far as her ritual, her second. Ritual. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking it up now because I did see the book of the law there, and I'm looking. At, I'm not. I had said that it didn't have spells in it. I don't think it does. I've never read it. I have it on my Kindle. I just want to make sure that I'm getting that right. It, but it looks like it's mostly just like transmissions from, you know, higher higher beings. I don't know. Maybe there's some kind of spell work in that or something. But anyway, just my 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 nerdiness uh, forced me to go to uh, blackwitchcoven.com and look that up. What? Okay, I just have to make note of this. Amy's been getting me presents for an upcoming birthday that no one else is allowed to celebrate. Okay, yeah. And so she brings me, she's been bringing me a present a day for, how many days has it been? It's been 23 days. 23 days and 23 presents. Some of them are... It's been 46 presents. 46 presents. <laughs> Some of them are, you know, like bubblegum machine toys, things I like, but they're relatively inexpensive. Oh, is that where you got the homies? That's where I got some of the homies, but she just dropped a crystal head vodka skull in my lap, That's which cool. speaking of the occult, I think we might have to do a ritual with this. Yeah. yeah. That's that Are one. You... You've seen that, uh, that guy, uh, that uh, forensic guy reconstructed what the face actually looks like. Yeah. Yeah. That? Yeah. And it's, and it's all messed up. Yeah. 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 And yeah, Dan Aykroyd is behind it. She said, "Yeah, yeah. this thing's pretty sweet. This is uh, this is heavy as shit." It's Dude, a I'm bottle looking, of I'm vodka. At a, it's a bottle of vodka and a crystal skull. I'm looking at it right now. It's it's very appropriate for this podcast because I'm kind of freaked out by it. <laughs> this looks more. Yeah. Oh, dude! I just finished watching Hellier. If you had watched Hellier, this would be so on point, man, because. Okay. The show is all about them trying to find these little goblins in Kentucky. That's how it starts off. And then it spirals off into these things called synchronicities, which are essentially meaningful coincidences, like things that ha- like seeing a word in two different places and kind of feeling spooked out by it because, you know, uh-huh. it, it's so opportune. But the whole show is about these synchronicities. So it, it is interesting. Yeah, we're talking about the occult and spells and rituals, and then ding dong goes the doorbell, and you get a you get a little skull you get a skull head in the mail. The guy, <laughs> just, the guy just gives me a skull. Or gives yeah. her a skull, and he get, and then she gives me the skull. And right. then she quickly hurried out of the room. So I'm just gonna turn this skull around to face. Oh, there's a skull on every side of the box. Oh, oh, oh no! Yeah, oh no! It, I'm trying to make it face the corner. <laughs> the vodka out of space. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's cool though. That's, that's cool. We gotta leave fun. all that in, man, because that's a that's a that's a fun little. Whenever that's... you start talking about stuff like this, it start the universe. It. It's like that's a machine. I thought your spell was gonna bring up some like long dead person out of my crawl space, and it just brought a skull to the door. Yeah, Close sometimes enough. magic's a little anticlimactic like that. Well, well um, it's like <laughs> you said earlier, you said you make a spell, and sometimes it you know plays a joke on you. Uh, yeah. that's kind of that's kind of what you did. 
I did. It's well, cool what you did. <laughs> yeah, um, magic, okay. magic's cool, man. All right, so cool. Ma- so let's. So, so wanna, now that you're now that you're thoroughly other... freaked out, let's. Uh... Yeah, there's a couple other things I want to talk about with this movie too. Um, okay. I was going to ask you about because I went into reading the story because mm-hmm. I wanted, like I said earlier, you know, is it is it more annihilation or than the story or is or the or stalker, which arguably annihilation is kind of a riff on or extension of or uh-huh. homage, however you want to say it, you know, sure. however for, forgiving you're feeling, um, mm-hmm. is, uh, but it's it's kind of like I think color out of space is unfairly being compared to annihilation because because of the colors maybe the pinks well, well, no, and the because, purples i mean the, the story is pretty similar but it's yeah. kind of like uh it's kind of like john carter you know that okay. movie came out and everybody said oh my god it's such a ripoff of like star wars and shit mm-hmm. it's like well i got news for you you know princess of mars or whatever came out way before that and it's all yeah. based on that joseph campbell shit right. so the chicken or the egg doesn't even work anymore it's like the you know it's the egg or the egg so my question for you is um do you see a lot of annihilation in it besides meteor fucks with people's dna and makes them into monsters um yeah yeah i do actually i did i i noticed it mostly with the soundtrack the soundtrack definitely takes some annihilation cues there's the, the the final scene in uh not the yeah, final scene. That score but, was pretty interesting. The score was Yeah, interesting. yeah. In Annihilation when that when the, the kind of black being comes out and it's and there's that just that very bizarre sound that it makes that I love. Right. I've listened to that that on Spotify many, many times when I'm writing. Uh, that sound is kind of in this whenever you see the the meteor kind of giving birth to a little praying mantis thing it <laughs> yeah. does that little that wobble that whoop, 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 that kind of thing that the uh, annihilation so i think that it takes visual cues from annihilation and i think it takes sound cues but i don't i don't necessarily have a problem with it because it does go in such a kind of b horror direction with it it gets rub more rubbery yeah it gets it like gets it, it like gets, annihilation that'll be your psychedelic things. yeah right and and this one's where I go for my rubber fix, <laughs> right? My, right. My la- my latex fetish. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, the um, the only th- other thing I noticed was the um, the you know how the the creatures are kind of gibbering and making mm-hmm. the you know and the way it kind of uh, at the end it was talking like he was. Does Nick Cage start talking in the voices of the whole family at the end? Kind so, of, yeah, yeah, sort of. And, By the way, did you notice that? Do you notice when he's doing his dad's voice? That's basically a Trump impression. Like he's yeah. basically talking like we, Donald we Trump. Laughed, we laughed like about that. We weren't sure what was going on. That's actually yeah. when it kind of won Amy over because she's. I watched it with my wife Amy, and she hates Nicolas Cage. So uh-huh. she was like, "All right, I'll strap in for this shit." And uh, you know, he's he's kind of Nick Caging it up slightly before he should. Right. Um, you know, where he's doing a minor freak out before it really justifies itself. But then when he right. did the freak out with when he's taking bites out of all the mutant fruit and slam dunking them. Yeah. She she turns to me and she's like, OK, this is working now. It's like it, yeah. it's like the, the movie caught up with him. Right. And, right. And then, it, him, and then it starts to make sense. Him and the actress who played his, his wife both did really interesting performances with her. I wanted to talk about hers in particular because. While I was watching it, I was like, this is actually kind of cool. She seems, you know, she's somebody who just got 
done having fucking cancer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so she kind of slurs a lot of what she says and kind of sounds sleepy. And she either did such a good job with it or was actually just on like downers or something because mm. like halfway through the movie before all the gnarly shit happens, I found myself watching her and being like, is she okay? Like, is she actually like, yeah. is this, is this part of the bit or is she just like not okay? Because right. it seems like it's like that it's actually, it's what I would call the Nicholas cage event horizon. Right. Where you're like, does he know what he's doing or is he insane? Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, right. And, and, you, and you have trouble figuring it out exactly. Yeah. And it, it's fun that, that they aligned um, mm-hmm. eventually, that the, his, that the performances aligned with where the, where the movie was going. At first, things were a little off. Like like you said, uh, you know, when she's cutting the vegetables and she cuts her finger and then she looks up and goes, dinner's ready. And, yeah. like, and like Amy said, dinner's not ready. That you're just cutting the vegetables. They're not yeah. cooked yet. You know, so yeah, like yeah, like the, yeah. the line doesn't make any sense, and it's like a stupid horror movie line. Right. So, but then it kind of catches up with her spaciness. Um, mm-hmm. But what the point I was going to make about him speaking in the voices of all the family—that's kind of our, in Annihilation in the movie. Remember the bears talking in the voices? Yeah, of the that's right. So, yeah. so kind of absorbing the voices of the people that have going through the suffering, I think was good. I also mm-hmm. think the rewatchability of this is going to be way up there with there's so much muttering and there's so much kind of narration on top of narration. And mm-hmm. like when, when Tommy Chong has a, a he's recording to another, he's recording, oh, that was making great. A record, but that his was voice great. isn't moving. Like I want to listen to that stuff closely again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I was kind of making sure I didn't miss anything visually that I think I missed some of those audio cues. Yeah. So, that was so great the, where the, where, the, where the, the Memorex is like, uh, yeah. it's like slipping and his voice is doing this. Right. And that, that was great. That was great. I was like, that's a, that's just aesthetically very pleasing in addition to being creepy. Right. Like, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised by it. I, uh, the first, I, I, I put it on pause after the first hour and I went down to the store to get some energy drinks. I was getting tired. Uh, and while I was driving back, I was like, fuck, I still have 45 minutes to go in this movie. You know, I was thinking like, like, where is this going to go? And uh, the back half, I was really, really happy with, you know? See, that's why um, they should never, people should never know how much is left of the movie. If they had a little bar at the bottom of the s- screen in the theater, p- nobody would sit through it. Like, right. not being a captive audience can ha- kind of hurt a viewing. But yeah. um, I was worried when it started. Honestly, I, I was worried a little bit because, mm-hmm. you know, I was thinking, we got some horror movie tropes. We've got to, hopefully this kind of generic purple light terrorizing them is not going to be all we get. Mm-hmm. You know, so the rubber puppets were a relief, but also right. the the movie kind of like gets its groove on, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I think which is that, why like the tree and the well were so anticlimactic and such yeah. kind of bummers. It's like the kid climbs into the well, and you're like, okay, that's it. Like you know, once you've already <laughs> seen the the mother and son fuse together into this mutant spider yeah, creature, it's a tough tough act to follow. You're, it's, you're that's that's a tough opening band. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly exactly but yeah, the, yeah um i think it also benefits from its low budget too like uh, i was i think it was nick mamatas was talking about how everybody's grading it on a curve that they're not real that they're maybe they're not being as you know honest about its success as they should and i i would agree with that but i would also say that i'm grading it on a curve for a lot of other reasons and mm-hmm. i think it's successful 
you know, in it, on its own terms, but also comparatively. Yeah. And I think it, I think the things that benefit it are it's low budget because we remember we talked about the claustrophobic sets of those 2000 movies like split second, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, those hissing pipes and you're stuck somewhere. And when it's a low budget movie, I ca- that energy I think works when it's, a, yeah. when it's people just being cheap. And when you're just, everybody's indoors cause they're green screen and everything, then it feels like shit. Like mm-hmm. the doctor's doctor sleep. I watched recently feels like it was filmed in a fucking office building the whole thing there's no scope to it and mm-hmm. that's not that and that's a movie that seems like it costs a lot so right. here we we got a claustrophobic set a very kind of energetic ragged kind of movie and it suits you know what this guy did well back before he vanished after dr or uh island Moreau, of dr Moreau. Yeah. you know dust devil and hardware very kind of small ragged but satisfying movies mm-hmm. hardware i had to come around on a little bit have you seen mm. that one no i haven't no i haven't seen any of his other movies the, the simplest plot ever dude guy does this woman does this artwork and she's out mm-hmm. in the desert and she finds this robot head mm-hmm. so she she paints like an american flag on it and puts it on the wall mm-hmm. um, and then somewhere someone turns it on mm. and, it, and it decides to kill everybody in the building so you're stuck in the building and you've got this robot that she's painted an American flag on just on a tear fucking mm. people up. Yeah. Um, so it's the simplicity goes a long way with that. And like that's that, interesting. Yeah. Like, it's interesting, actually, with the advent of things like computer technology, it's kind of worked to people's detriment because one of the things I think that makes film work really well is what you're talking about is like, let's see what we have around us and like, how yeah. can we get clever with it to like, like make it fun. It's, Film, when it works really well, should feel kind of like, you know, like a stage magic show where, you know, you're kind of watching somebody be inventive or maybe a better way of putting it is like watching a uh, uh, Rube Goldberg machine or something like that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like a people little junk. Took... It's kind of a junkyard. And it, yeah. and it felt when it got towards the end, that last third felt like that junkyard that I wanted from hardware, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and even though you could feel the limitations like again, I yes, I, I graded on a curve, but you know that stuff. I I feel like that stuff should be championed, especially now. You know, mm-hmm, this guy mm-hmm. got to put his junkyard back together. It's a great comeback from the Doctor Moreau debacle. Did you ever see mm-hmm. Lost Soul? Where, where I did. It, I, yeah, I saw that documentary. Yeah, <laughs> that was that's great. better. That's better than the movie Island of Doctor Moreau. Oh, for sure. You know? And isn't it interesting that the female lead, the daughter in this, she gave off Rosa Balk vibes. I think a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I could. Yeah, she had had, it. had a little bit of that kind of like kind of punky kind of strange yeah, looking witchy kind of look to her yeah for that's, that's what that, i thought i should give it a shout so that people could track it down for anybody that doesn't know uh richard stanley the guy who did this movie did uh, the island of dr moreau started to then got fired and uh so they made a documentary about the whole debacle where he went out kind of went out in the woods and watched him make his movie but then he got dressed as one of the creatures and came back onto the set among mm-hmm. other things there's so many amazing things in it. So the movie it's called Lost Soul, and it's yeah. better. And it's uh, one of the best documentaries you see. Like you get that uh, revenge vibe, like you get watching Overnight instead of mm-hmm. Boondock Saints. Like it's mm-hmm. kind of better. Mm-hmm. It's kind of better. Than oh yeah, the Boondock Saints documentary <laughs> is so much better than Boondock Saints. Right, right, like, right. Like yeah, you get to watch just the utter. Co- well, in Boondock Saints and case, you, you get to watch get this kind collapse. Of the best- 
and they give you some of the best stuff in you know boondock saints but other yeah. things real quick as far as grading it on a curve there's things that normally i hate like spooky whispering children but mm-hmm. you know they're kind of they're in the text so yeah. be they they were spooky whispering children back in 1927 mm-hmm. which is you know before the shining did it well mm-hmm. but kind of did it for the last time that i kind of could tolerate it where you have whispering spooky children now you got like 19 resident evil movies with a kid whispering like you're gonna die or singing a you know yeah. scare, scary lullaby which is like the least scary thing ever but i think what they do to the kid in this movie which breaks it's, a lot of like it's rules, different yeah it, it they, makes it it makes it all worth it right it because he's, it makes, he's not it, it he's not context. just this like he's not this kind of like locus of you know of like power that this thing is swirling around and you know like poltergeist style like he's one of the very first ones it goes after right like mm-hmm. which i thought was an interesting reversal um but yeah sorry go ahead no that's just i was just gonna say the spooky kids is a real problem that i have with in the in the head tilts but there were no head tilts in this movie but um the uh actually thinking of spooky kids the uh did you read salem's lot i did yeah there was a passage in that i don't know if you remember this but when the when the whole town is taken over there's a school bus and there's like a bunch of red-eyed kids on a school bus mm-hmm. that i remember freaking me out i mean that was mm-hmm. 40 40 years ago um, yeah so again, like I, I'm grading it on a curve where I'm saying this movie came out now, yes, but it kind of squeaks in the spooky kid thing under the wire by doing it in 1927. Also, he does something good with it. He, and you kind of you kind of grade elevates. every movie on a curve, you know? You kind of because like you, I want to root for this. I root for him, but I'm not. I don't for whatever reason don't want to root for Doctor mm-hmm. Sleep. <laughs> I don't know yeah, what it is. Yeah, yeah. Let me uh, let me give you a call back in like three minutes. I got oh, okay. I got an issue here, but I'll call you right back. Okay, I'll be right back. All right, cool. Bye. Morning. And we're back. And we're back. Welcome back to Almost Good Podcast. With the color that burns. <laughs> we're going to be burning at you all night long here. Looks like some of these characters have mommy issues. <laughs> <laughs> Attached at the hip. Uh, <laughs> Do you like alpacas? <laughs> Neither oh does this God. movie. <laughs> I think it loves them. I think it loves him too. Like, yeah. He was like milking them and shit. I don't even think where, the scene where milk. he goes. He was milking animals like, that can't even milk. He's like, he's like, he's like when you when you you have to be very gentle with the boobs. I was like, that's a <laughs> that's a great line. That's just a great. This is such a wacky, weird movie. And this is, I want to talk a little bit more about what you're saying about grading on a curve, because I think that, and I'm not necessarily saying that this is what Mamatas is doing, right? But when you come to movies with this kind of objective set of rules, it's like what they're supposed to do in order to be successful or not successful, um, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna become frustrated because what this podcast does, what almost like this is a perfect, almost good movie, right? Like this is a movie that really, I think, succeeds on its own terms, but is also sort of it has constraints based on those very same turns. So, I guess I, yeah, I you, think is, is you, you can't you can't quite you can't quite put it on like I don't know. It's it's a fluid process, maybe is what I'm trying to say. I think yeah, I, I think in the, one of the issues too is that. Uh, a lot of the, the horror community that were um, entrenched in, um, they know Lovecraft very well. 
Yeah. Where like I can't, True. I can't even I can't even look for things related to Lovecraft without stumbling onto somebody that I talk to on Facebook or yeah. at least have seen Same the name here. of it. Right. Like yeah. um, when I went to look for this short story last night, I mm-hmm. I knew I had it. In, I thought I had it in my office, so I dig through a couple Lovecraft collections, and I find one, and I look at it. I'm like, huh, this name looks familiar. S. T. Joshi. Yeah. And yes. yeah. So it it turns out that the book that had the the story in it is written by like this notoriously hated yeah. Lovecraft love lover slash troll. Yeah. Like they're all right. like these guys are entrenched in a years long battle with this guy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Joshi, thought, he well, loves to he loves to argue on the internet. Yeah. Um. I've, so I've seen that guy, and I thought I've had this book in my possession for about. 15 years <laughs> and I've never known who this guy was. And I thought, I, I bet I've never even read this intro. So I go back and read the intro and the fucking introduction is, is hysterical. Um, I've actually got it right here. Can so I, can I give it sounds like the guy? What, go, ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say a quick little fun tidbit in uh, yeah, yeah. Alan, Alan Moore's latest graphic novel called Providence, which is about kind of this uh, writer who is uh, going around Northeast uh, new, like new England who, uh, uh, where L- Lovecraft is actually a character in the book, and like this kind of whole thesis is put out that Lovecraft stories are actually the the spell that allows the older, the great old ones to come back to Earth. Like at the end of the book, when the great old ones come back, the only like surviving human is St. Joshi, in the comic. <laughs> but anyway, that was funny. Yeah, yeah he. Uh... So I thought, is this? Uh, I wonder if he was still trolling back in the '90s or whatever this fucking book was published. So I looked at the introduction that I've probably never noticed before. This is in the first page of the introduction. It says, um, "Lovecraft is by no means well esconded as a legitimate legitimate American author, but this is chiefly the result of the vagaries of academic criticism, which has always held all horror literature in low esteem, and which today seems to be putting more emphasis on the race, gender, or sexual orientation of the author." <laughs> Wait, this is this is this is back in the nineties. Yes. So oh, like damn. The, the, he's like a he's so like a, is, he's like a proto troll. Yeah. Did he? So he's been in the the culture wars that have uh, circled back. Yeah, like he yeah. he's ne- he's never left. He never left right. it. He's well, been, I remember the the bust the bust of Lovecraft being the um that horror award. Remember, it used to be a bust bust of Lovecraft, and that was one oh, of the yeah, earliest yeah. kind of. Flame Wars, I remember, in the horror community on the internet. This was maybe five, six years ago, before uh, everything sort of ramped up. And that was the, and he was one of the main figures in that. Like, he had his fucking, you know, he had his fucking boots on, and he was out there just trying to stomp whoever was trying to take it away from Lovecraft, where it's like, I mean... Well, he's, been, he's been saying this shit, he's been saying that same shit since 95, dude. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's tough. It's tough when your hero. It's tough when your hero is like a racist anti-Semite. It's a. It's a rough. It's rough, right? It's. It's hard to square that circle. But all you really have to do is just be like, yeah, he was all of those things, but I like the story, so fuck off, yeah, right? That's it. That's yeah. That's, that's pretty a, much that's the another, long or short of it. It's a, It's a definitely a loophole. The mm-hmm. um. Uh, speaking of loopholes, I read. Uh, I also read that someone was referring to Lovecraft monsters and how he prefers to only refer to them by analogy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think, I mean, how many times has there ever been an author who has sidestepped the duties of reporting what your creature is? Yeah. Lovecraft. And it's, and is it being mistaken for being so 
incredibly, you know, mind shatteringly bizarre yeah. because he just doesn't say it. He just, he's just, he he's just doing the jaw. He's just doing the jaws thing. He doesn't show the shark, right? He, he lets, he shark. lets, he lets you fill it in. And that's, I mean, I, we're joking around, but that's probably what makes them so effective is, you know, it's cheesy to constantly say that it's unimaginable, but then what does your imagination do immediately, but try to fill that hole with something fucked up. Right. So yeah. you, you're kind of doing the heavy lifting in a Lovecraft story and he's very clever in that way. Yeah. He, um, there's another story I want to, uh, I want people to look for too. I found, I stumbled onto this story looking for this story. There's a collection called, um, the dark descent and okay. it has a it has a short story in it called the damned thing by yeah. ambrose bierce i don't know if you know ambrose bierce he wrote the i Devil's do dictionary yeah okay yeah yeah and he wrote the uh, oxbow incident right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. he um the devil's dictionary is that hilarious uh that dictionary where it's like sarcastic it's very mark twain like sarcastic definitions to everything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like the definition for the letter j it says that the shape the dog's tail takes when you throw a rock at it also j from jealousy you know like all that kind of shit but anyway um that story is really great and it's he wrote this story dude like i'm saying that when you say the color out of space is from 1927 so that's like Mm -hmm. the you know the the dna of this whole tale not Mm -hmm. at all because ambrose bierce wrote the damn thing back in 1893 oh fuck and and in this story i uh, it's basically somebody thinks their house is haunted and mm-hmm. they, they describe being attacked by this little, the, the feeling of like little claws on them and something like attacking mm-hmm. when they're sleeping. They're like, mm-hmm. what the fuck is going on? So they bring in some scientists and they get, they, they, I forget how they catch it, but they catch it and drug it and tie it to a bed and throw a sheet over it. And they realize it's merely invisible mm-hmm. that it's not, it's not a ghost. It's just a creature. And he's, mm. and that there's a big line, the line in it that Lovecraft arguably got his idea from is where they say, no, this thing is not invisible. This thing is just a color. That's not on our spectrum. And that mm-hmm. color is, you know, and what that color is, is this, you know, this nothing, this, the damned thing. Uh-huh. And so I think eventually they paint it like all these, oh. pra- all these practical solutions you know, right, it's like, right. Like you can imagine somebody in like 1890 saying, I'm sick of these fucking ghost stories. Why don't you just get a hold of one and fucking spray paint it, you know, right, so you can right. so that you can not explain it. But at least it, you're asking all the, the questions that somebody would really ask if they were in those situations. Yeah, yeah, that's actually that's, um, that is that is really clever. I like that a lot. Um, also, I want to kind of say this was me being a smart ass. But when I was watching the movie, um, uh, there's a line where Nick Cage goes like, it was like this this color. I actually I I don't I don't know what color it was. And I like I said to the movie, I was like, it's kind of a pinkish purple, bro. It's like we all yeah, saw it's, it. It's, it's definitely pinkish purple. You know what else is purple? Uh, Lovecraft. That's the purplest prose I've read. Yes, sir. Yes, entire. sir. It is the purplest yes, of prose. Like that's and it's like people people either love it or they hate it. You know, oh, it's kind of so one of those purple. things. You you have to you have to kind of get into the into the mode of it i personally this is kind of um i haven't read very much lovecraft at all like i i'm familiar with a lot of the lovecraft derivative stuff but i don't have i mean i know the stories because i've I've read into them so many times let me me ask you let me ask you this question do Uh you like reading do you like reading stories where black men are called apes and they say that their arms were actually four legs 
Oh Jesus! Be- because I've got a story. Oh for you Jesus! The, the, re- the reanimator, which you may enjoy. Oh my God! <laughs> and I know re- that his uh, Nair Lothotep, who's like the devil, is just a black dude, right? Like that's that's another thing. Um, yeah, no, I got to be honest with you, Dave. I don't I don't really enjoy that. Um, so <laughs> okay, so you're not going to want to read the reanimator. That's yeah. a great adaptation. Like if we were to, people have been saying this is the best uh, Lovecraft adaptation of all time. I'm going to have to push back on that a little bit. I would say mm-hmm. it depends on how you define adaptation. I would say as a straight adaptation, people, I, I don't know why people don't consider the reanimator a pretty straightforward adaptation because a lot of the dialogue is in it, you know, except for the mm-hmm. racism. Sure. They've left that out mercifully. But, uh, uh, and a lot of the zingers and, and uh, cliffhangers, because the mm-hmm. cause reanimator, I think was written as a serial. Mm-hmm. So every it's not as purple as his prose usually is. It's kind of yeah. it's trash. It's trashier, and so it's um, in a different way. It's kind of got a lot of momentum to it. Mm-hmm. So Reanimator, I think, is probably the most effective one, and it's full of the same stuff. This one is, you know, people are wearing the Miskatonic University shirts, and they're in yeah. Arkham, and mm-hmm. a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, and from Beyond, I would put as a close second, probably because that. Mm-hmm really gave me an idea of what these this otherworldly yeah. creatures swimming around us shit would be like. Um, from the, but from if you're the, talking... Go oh, ahead. I was going to say, from kind of like the spooky cult vibe, though, you can't go wrong with Dagon. Dagon yeah, is a badass I movie. Also, yeah. that, I, would put that on, uh, I would put that slightly below it. It's got some really dodgy effects in it. But, Especially um, at the end, it, where it's yeah. like... <laughs> but it ramps. There's, a, there's moments in it that are as effective as anything that uh that that guy's done the reanimator yeah. guy and uh yeah. Yunza or uh or gordon um oh is it the same guy is it the same guy yeah did that one of really them. yeah yeah oh, that's why it's okay. got uh that's why for a minute there it gets real when he's yeah when they strapped when they strap the christian to this thing and start stripping his skin off and he's like yeah to get his god like very some kind of wicker man shit going on um i would put that one there with dunwich horror i think those are effective kind of um you know low budget versions but if you were to talk about loose adaptations i think you know it's going to be redundant because everybody's going to say it but the thing reigns supreme as Mm, love mm -hmm. it is it is the lovecraft adaptation of all time i mean it's i it's got it's probably it's like of one third color out of space one third mountains of madness all that shit's in and if you read mountains of madness there's so many it's it's the thing basically yeah. yeah yeah so that one is the one that I think gets the dread, gets the, you know, space is fucking scary vibe. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That I think is is going to be um, unbeatable. But uh, but yeah, it's got, the, as, it's got uh, the weird dog. Got the weird dog. But as far as Dagon, Dunwich Horror, Reanimator, From Beyond, and uh, Color Out of Space, I think sits very comfortably in the in with those. And like people have been mm-hmm. saying. There's not a lot of good Lovecraft after that, so mm-hmm. that's that's that curve again. You know, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it's it's not it's not such a stretch to say you know it's the best because yeah, yeah. look at what else is out there. But there's when you go for loose adaptations, there's a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. And there was some. The, what was that Call of Cthulhu? Uh, silent movie on Netflix. I never even watched that. Or, I don't know. Or if I, I did, I, I remember nothing. I didn't hear about that. I used to remember feeling very freaked out by a lot of the Lovecraftian concepts of old gods living underwater and sleeping and then 
dreaming and then waking up and you know like the the image that you see a lot in fan art is of a robed figure on a beach and cthulhu is like coming out of the fucking ocean and you get the sense of scale and ooh that's because yeah, you know yeah. like i feel like that's something well, the, ocean, that, like, the ocean's you, freaky the ocean's always the ocean's freaky. super freaky and it's also like i think that that's something that you know as a kid you kind of think about like when you're driving along and you look out and you see a body of water or a big mountain or something you're like what if there's a big ass monster that was like walking you know what i mean um so that that kind of those hit all the buttons for me um but i'm a little jaded like it doesn't really spook me the way that it used to i'm kind of like yeah okay all right yeah Yeah. like i and i think it's maybe overuse i think it's been so effective and so emulated over and over again it's kind of like it's it's heard by it it's that's the 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 tragic irony is so here's my thing it's hurt yeah. by the imitators that are adapting the original material. So it's, yeah. it's, got, it's got generations of people that have been doing that stuff from the stories. So yeah. when you finally adapt the stories, it just feels like old news. Well, and it's like, you know, so bringing back your example of the Ambrose Beer story where they throw the paint on the creature. Um, so what I would like to see kind of moving forward, and by the way, I'm not dinging Color Out of Space for not doing this, right? That would be silly. But instead of these sort of eldritch horrors that are impossible to defeat, and if you're in their path, you're just completely fucked, and you're, you're going to die. It's just a matter of how soon and how horribly, right? Um, mm-hmm. I'd kind of like to go back to, to creatures that kind of have rules, right? And I'd kind of like to see like maybe the, the characters be able to try to use their wits and cleverness to try to like defeat a particular monster. Like, mm-hmm. super-powered monsters aren't really that interesting anymore because there's like you 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 know what's going to happen right well Once... yeah they're they're a they're a steamroller in his stories mm-hmm. they're just yeah they're, they're a steam they're a steamroller and it's also you're i get that you know you're not really supposed to be clear on what the rules are here because it's a spooky creepy alien thing but i kind of want to go back to to like the alien and aliens right like it's a killing machine it can blend in with stuff it's fast it's got a tongue that's got teeth on it if the little scuttling thing gets on your face, it lays an egg in you. Those are all rules, right? And mm-hmm. so you know, like when you see that little, like the scene in Aliens where their Paul Reiser throws the canister in, and you know Newt and Ripley are like under the bed trying to, like you know, with that thing, it's not that they can't possibly escape from it, but you know that little thing wants to latch onto their face, and that makes yeah. it, like, it makes it kind of like tangible. Does it, is that the right word? Yeah, no, you, that's, that's something that, you know, I've said for a long time is that I, the, you know, the, the and it's, it goes against kind of that space portal swirls of energy, you know, those things just aren't interesting anymore. Now, the fact that this movie got interesting is like it, it kind of sidestepped Lovecraft's swirls of energy and portals mm-hmm. and indescribable stuff and said, mm-hmm. like you're saying, which is, here's some gooey shit mm-hmm. that's nipping at you. Here's your loved ones as a blob of hungry something deal with it in a way that makes sense right Um, and that's i think that's when the movie is the most effective when it gets when it when it gets dirty a movie that was really good at that that was recent was the ritual because you did have this supernatural you had this supernatural being that was weird and hard to look at hard to figure out what it was but the whole thing had rules right and the and the protagonist to the extent that he succeeds is because he's able to figure out the rules and, and play with them. Right. Yeah. And um, once you get past the facade of, 
of whatever hypnotism it's doing, it's a freaky looking like old vestigial creature. You know, it's this fucking mm-hmm. it's this mm-hmm. it's this pile of woodland stuff and bodies. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. essentially the the pelican spider. Somebody should Google that. It looks oh like yeah, the pelican spider. Yeah, no. I think when we did the episode on it, I think you mentioned the pelican spider. So I, I, you you've been champion championing the pelican spider. Uh, you're, in, you're, you're, you're an OG, you're an OG oh, Pelican cool, Spider guy. But you see what I mean? Like movies like that, they have they have rules that the, you. I want I want some kind of feeling that maybe the protagonist could do something to get yeah, out of it. Not you know, not in Lovecraft. Lovecraft doesn't like that though. You know, no, he doesn't. Doom. Yeah, doom, everybody's doom, doomed. Doom. Everybody's yeah, doomed. Get... And then, but then it becomes like I don't know. You you get you get doom overload, right? And you're just and again. You know, this one's fun because there's there's goopy stuff, but you know, you do kind of get sort of you're like well, a dog the, that's been that's been hit too many times. You're right. kinda like, I'll your, just I'll watch the rest of the movie. Your, Everybody's your tail, gonna fucking die. Your, <laughs> tail, your tail curls into a J. Yeah. But exactly. yeah, the um uh that's what some of the adaptations did early on was they tried to give you hope. I right. was watching a there's an early version of the color out of space that um you can actually find it on YouTube if you want to watch the whole thing. It's called Die Monster Die, which is one of those dumb titles that has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, but it's told from the point of view of uh, college boyfriend comes to town and wants to go see his girlfriend, and the meteor is already hit. Uh, mm-hmm. So the house is already weird. There's somebody running around the woods doing wearing all black. The mother is already in bed and sort of disintegrating. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's the the... The like the um, happy ending is that he gets the the girl out of there, and mm-hmm. right when everything's kind of imploding. Um, but it's fun to watch. It's fun to see that take on it because they didn't know how to do the the mutating creatures. So mm-hmm. at one point they run they run into a nursery, and there's just these. You could tell they just had these rubber flapping like hand puppets that they filmed, uh-huh. and then they blew them up and projected them on a screen behind the actors. Right. And so and they have this howling. They're like going, woo, woo. And the, yeah. the lead the lead is like, it's like a zoo out of hell. <laughs> hell yeah, dude. That's so awesome. Kind of fun. So that's that as, as far as they could get on the on the critters. And the meteor you barely see it. But it stars Boris Karloff, actually. Oh, uh, interesting. In a wheelchair as the main guy. So hey dude, I said I was gonna talk about standoff Sparrow Creek. I do not want to do that. So I'm yeah. not gonna do it. Yeah, it's but been, I, would, uh, I was going to say we've talked a lot about color out of space. I think, I think that's a good episode. I think I agree. Um, I, agree. I agree completely. I think that I think that we have we we have it. It's in the can. Uh, so uh, yeah. So thanks uh, thanks for uh, listening, everybody. Yeah, this one's nice and short, and it burns. Mm-hmm.